At the risk of sounding un-American, I wanted to go. I want to go on record this morning as saying I'm not a baseball fan. I didn't say softball. I have two daughters who played softball, so I was a fan. But I'm not a baseball fan. I do like apple pie. I like Fourth of July. I've owned Chevrolet before, so <laughs> baseball just isn't my thing. But I do like to go to a World Series game now and then. And this past summer, um, some of us in our family went to a World Series game, and it was the first time our 10-year-old and 8-year-old son, Owen and Josiah, had ever been to a baseball game. So it was great fun. And for five innings nonstop, it was question and answer. Because the inquisitive minds want to know, they're into sports, and so one of my daughters and Molly talked the whole time over here, and I talked to my boys over here, seriously, nonstop. They'd never seen it before. They'd, if they had seen it, they didn't care, but now they cared. It was so much fun. I was discipling in all things baseball, okay? Because they didn't know the culture, they didn't know the etiquette, they didn't know the vocabulary, they didn't know the rules. They really didn't know anything. I'm not a baseball player. I've never played organized baseball in my life before, so I'm not an expert. But I know enough about baseball that in five innings, they understood, they appreciated. They were, they were talking the talk. They were fitting in. They were understanding. And it just made it a great, great time. I'm not here to talk about baseball this morning and disciple you in baseball. But I am here today to disciple you in Bible. And the segue is this. Christianity has a culture. Okay? Christianity has vocabulary. Christianity has, if you will, rules. Um, we have all of these things, and, and we're, we're ignorant to, to say that we don't. We do. And apart from understanding some big words and concepts and ideas, you can't understand Christianity and you can't understand the Bible. But if you understand some very basic things, you know, five innings worth, if you understand some very basic things, all of a sudden now you can get it. You can understand it. It doesn't make you an expert, but you can fit in and it will make sense. And how about this? You don't have to be an expert to help somebody. As long as you understand some of these basic things, these basic themes, words, concepts, ideas, you can disciple people and help them to read the Bible the way it's meant to be read. Words like justification. Wow, big word. Don't use that every day. But really, it's quite easy to understand. Sanctification, same thing. Reconciliation, same thing. Imputation, same thing. And so this morning, I want to look at a big word, big concept to understand Christianity, perhaps the biggest concept, to help you read your Bible better, but also to help you to be a better discipler. Okay? To, to understand things. And the word that we're going to look at or the concept, the idea today is representation. Okay? So that's the big idea word, representation. It's not complicated. But apart from understanding that the Bible is about representation, you're going to be super confused and you're going to be super confusing. If we start reading the Bible thinking, well, first and foremost, it's timeless truths to live our lives by. If we think that first and foremost, it's going to be super confusing. 
if, if it's a recipe for how to have a happy life, first and foremost, they're going to be super confusing. I mean, when you read the Bible, you, you hear things like, unless you're perfect, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. If that's all you have to go on, what kind of message are you going to proclaim? Unless you're perfect, Jesus says, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. And yet, it also says, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I'm paraphrasing. How does that work? The Bible's filled with commands. You must do these things to go to heaven. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. And yet, it's only grace and only faith and only in Christ. And what? Representation. If you can grasp the big idea of representation, there's no conflict between those two emphases, okay? This is why people have said, the Bible is really a a tale of two Adams. Tale not as in fiction, but a story, a historic story about two Adams. We're going to learn about the two Adams today in Romans chapter 5. The Adam that we know from history, and then the one who in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus, who's called the last Adam. The last as in there are only two representation is what we're going to talk about. If you can grasp this concept, you can grasp the Bible. Okay? It doesn't mean there aren't other themes. It doesn't mean there aren't other emphases. It doesn't mean there aren't lots of principles to live our lives by. But first and foremost, all of human history, how about that, and the Bible are about representation. Okay, so if you're not, not already in Romans 5, you can go there. By the way, we understand representation well, don't we? we? We definitely understand representation well, especially this time of year. Every fourth year, if you've been plugged into any kind of media, if you've had the television on at all, you know that right now we just had the kickoff of what? The Olympics. The Olympics just started. And so when someone from the United States of America wins an Olympic gold, what are they going to say? They're going to say, the United States wins gold. Well, we weren't in Rio, and yet we won. This is good. When we win. (laughs) Right? We totally understand representation. If an American athlete or team steps onto the field, court, track, and wins a medal, we win a medal. And we might even say, if Michael Phelps wins, let's say, we might say, we won! And maybe we can't even swim, right? (laughs) But it's representation. It's how we talk about our favorite sports teams, but we really see it right now with the Olympics. Well, we're going to see from Romans chapter 5 that God has chosen to deal with humanity through representation. Like it or not, really, it's how he's chosen to do it. And if you can get that, you can really make some sense out of all the big picture in the Bible. Okay, The two main characters in the Bible are Adam 1 and Adam 2. There are lots of subplots, lots of other characters, interesting, important, but according to, how about this, I'm going to step out on a limb divinely inspired interpretation, the right way to read the Bible, ultimately, big picture storyline, tale of two Adams. And I know that because Romans 5 is inspired. And so that gives us help on how we should understand the whole. Okay? I'm so excited about Romans 5. I'm also here to tell you, oh, I've got to give you one more thing. We'll never get done today, by the way, but that's my goal. 
It's one of the hardest texts in the whole Bible. I've heard it said before, you can tell a true Bible student by looking at their Bible in Romans 5. Because it'll be the most worn part in their whole Bible. I don't know how this works with iPads. Um, But to help with that, I at least want to say to you, one super helpful thing would be to not only look at the trees in Romans 5, but make sure you're keeping the big picture in view, okay? For too much, too much of my Christian life, I was looking at the toothpicks in Romans 5, okay? Not just the trees, but the toothpicks. And it becomes overwhelming and paralyzing, and all of a sudden you can't understand it. But if you read the big picture and read the flow of things, all of a sudden you go, huh, if I keep reading the whole big picture and flow of things, I can get it, I can understand it. And by the way, that's how it's meant to be read. It's not meant to be read by isolating one word and ignoring all the others. So we take every word seriously, but we're going to understand the intent if we look at the whole and the flow of things. So I don't have a fancy sermon outline for you today. We're just going to walk through Romans 5 and following. I'll make what I hope are helpful comments, but I really, really, really want you to understand representation for your own blessed soul for the glory of Christ, but also so you could be a good discipler by understanding this big picture concept. So let's go ahead and get things moving. Romans chapter 5, representation to Adam's first and last. Let's go. Verse 12. Let's really focus this morning to, to grasp this. Therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam. I wrote Adam in my margin, and I'm going to keep doing this to try to help you. Through through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, meaning humans. It's using it in a generic sense. Because all sinned. I'm going to stop there for a second, because that doesn't seem to make sense. Because all sinned. So I wrote in my margin, all sinned in Adam, the representative. I wasn't there. You weren't there. But we did all sin via representative. Fits the whole context. In Adam, the representative, we all sinned. That's what he's getting at. So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, all human beings, because all sinned. Yeah, all sinned in Adam. I mean, even even that right there, to just understand that is to understand it and go, oh, okay, I get it. Now let's keep going. He's going to explain what he means. Some of your translations have a dash. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Now, just pause for a moment. We're going to keep doing this because I I so badly want you to understand it. At times in Romans and in other books of the Bible, the Apostle Paul and others kind of take an aside because they have to deal specifically with Jewish people. And it seems to be that's what he's doing here because there are objections. Well, the Gentiles are bad. They're sinners. But we're not because we're the chosen people of God. And so this is one of those things. And he'll do it a couple of different times in Romans 5 to make it clear that everyone is under sin, Jew or Gentile. So everyone needs Jesus, Jew or Gentile. So just keep that in mind. Most of us are Gentiles. So 
we could take it or leave it, but we do need to understand it. Verse 13 again, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. The idea is before the law of Moses. Okay? Who came first, by the way, Adam or Moses? <laughs> Adam, right? <laughs> the law didn't come till later. The formal Mosaic law. But that doesn't mean, as he's going to get at, that doesn't mean there weren't rules. It doesn't mean there weren't commandments. It doesn't mean there wasn't law, maybe lowercase l. But we didn't have the law of Moses yet. But there was sin for sure. We know there was sin for sure because there was death for sure. By the way, Romans 5 is filled with legalese, even if he doesn't use the word law. We're going to see it all over the place. Let's keep going. But sin is not counted where there is no law. It's not counted in the same way. Because there's no written law code yet. But there certainly was sin. And there was violation because death came. Verse 14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression, the law violation is the word, of Adam. Pretty straightforward so far, right? Even for people who didn't eat of the forbidden fruit, they just kept dying. It goes to the argument that they were in Adam. He was their representative. It's been death ever since. That's all he's getting at. Not too complicated. But super important. Let's keep going in that verse, verse 14, who was a type, a parallel, let's just... Think of it that way for now. Who was a type, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Who is? Is Jesus. And again, I wrote in my margin, 1 Corinthians 15, last Adam is what Jesus is called. It makes sense that he would be called the last Adam. Because the first Adam was a type, a parallel of the one who was going to come. If you feel like you came to the wrong church because we're in the deep end of the pool and you weren't looking for the deep end, it's really not that complicated. Some of the verbiage is complicated, but it's really not that complicated. God has chosen to deal with the human race through representation. First representative led to bad. Ever since, the evidence has been all around. Last representative, second representative, for those who trust in him, leads to good. Not complicated. Okay? You came to the right place. You know, I so badly wish someone would have explained this to me and just made it simple. I remember even being a seminary student and I had taught a class for, for church members one time for a professor. And something happened to the professor and the professor was gone again and there was like an emergency. So one of, another staff person came to me and said, well, you taught the last class, will you teach this class? When? Today. What's it on? The imputation of Adam's sin. I said, no. <laughs> right? I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole because this is complicated. And I've, I now have to pretend to be an expert? But it's not that complicated. If you just read the whole, interpret the details in light of the whole... I would hope at least today when you go to wherever you go, you could at least explain it better than I could have as a second-year seminary student who was overwhelmed by the toothpicks. 
You don't need to be overwhelmed by the toothpicks. Okay? Remember, the Romans were pretty new Christians. They weren't academics. They weren't scholars. They had no seminary training. Notice the parallel. 1 Corinthians 15.45, by the way, is that text, the last Adam. Verse 15 then says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. Trespass is another, it's a violation term, right? You've broken a commandment, you've broken a law. See, there is law before law. There's general law before Mosaic law. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, I wrote in my margin, and they did, He says, if, but they did. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. This is bad news, but we've got better news. But do notice he's drawing the connection between the one and the many. Okay, so again, I, I drew some lines here in my notes from verse 15 where it says, one man, Jesus. I circled one man, Jesus, and drew an arrow back up to verse 12. One man, Adam. Okay? Individual representation. The one representing the many. He's going to continue to do this throughout. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. It's not like Adam 1. For the judgment following one trespass, again, violation of commandment or law, brought condemnation. That's another law court term, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Notice justification and condemnation, those are going to be the opposites. One has us being declared righteous, declared obedient even though we're not. The other one has us condemned, being declared guilty because we are. Think law court. Verse 17. Well, maybe, maybe just again. So condemnation for all who were in the first Adam, represented by him. And then we have justification for all, all those who are represented by the last Adam. 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, violation, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, oh, that's that justification idea, concept, reality, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. With me so far? One in the many, one in the many. Bad, good, condemned, justified. 18 may be one of, if not the best part. 518. Therefore, as one trespass, that would be whose trespass? Adam's, and we were in him, represented by him. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, because Adam represents all human beings, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Bad, awesome, fantastic, wonderful, amazing. What does one act of righteousness mean? I'll give you two options and we can take either. Okay? And we don't have to have a church split. One act of righteousness? Well, he could be referring to the the whole work of Jesus. Right? As one act. Or, even as some of your margins note, 
Another way to translate it would be the act of righteousness of one. That would fit the one and the many flow more, more likely. That would fit Jesus' sayings when he says things like, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. Do this to fulfill all righteousness. He did everything right. Then he went to the cross to be treated as if he had done everything wrong. And then he was raised from the dead victoriously for our justification, the Bible says. They're inseparable. Either way, it's the one and the many representation the act of righteousness of one. I said earlier, by the way, I, I was trying to point out the confusion ness, to make up a word, um, the confusing nature potentially of the Bible. Because you have statements in the Bible like, be perfect and you go to heaven. So Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh oh. Salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ, that not of yourselves, lest no one boast. Huh? It's not confusing if you understand representation. The first one is to be righteous and lead us in righteousness, and he's unrighteous. But the requirement was there to obey God. Second Adam comes along, representative, and the requirement is there to obey God. And he does. And he does so perfectly. So, in Romans, God can be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, the righteous, which comes from justified, same word. Ha ha! No contradiction. No illogic, no inconsistency. God maintains the requirement that says, be perfect. And Jesus says, amen to that, if you will. So we're all smoked. We're all in Adam, we're smoked. But if you're in Christ, what's the opposite of smoked? I can't think of... <laughs> we're reconciled to God, right? We, we, have, we have His righteousness. So we can decl God can declare us righteous representation. Apart from getting this, it's no wonder we have all kinds of confusion and somehow the Bible doesn't even really make sense. I want to go in a million different directions to talk about this, but we're not going to do that. The Holy Spirit is alive and well in this place. <laughs> Let's go to verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I wrote in my margin where it says made righteous, made righteous before God. Representatively. How about that? One man's disobedience, one man's obedience. There it is. 
because of passages like this, I like to shock people and say, salvation is based upon obedience. It most certainly is based upon obedience. And so you're in a whole lot of trouble. (laughs) And so am I, because we're in Adam. So we need to trust in Christ, because again, here, it's as clear as could be. By one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The only way you'll ever stand before God and be righteous before Him is through obedience, not yours, because you're in Adam. You don't have any. You need His. You need His. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. By the way, people who say that salvation is by grace and works, which is impossible, hate this representation idea. Because what this does is it makes it clear as clear as clear can be. It's only by grace, only through faith, only in Christ. So let's make sure we understand, even as we look at Let's keep going. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So once we, once we had Mosaic law, the plan didn't change. If, but, but there was like a magnifying glass to make it even clearer that, that, that sin is sin. But that didn't somehow derail things. Grace abounded all the more. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Notice, righteousness is what leads to eternal life. Based upon Christ's obedience, verse 19. But then let's keep reading. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's because He's righteous. This is phenomenal. This is uber, super basic 101 Bible stuff, and yet sometimes we don't even know it. But it's staggering to the mind. It should be worship-inducing, praise-inducing. This is amazing. This this helps us to understand grace, and it helps us to understand Christ, and it helps us to understand why we're in the mess we're in. One more technical thing, and then we'll try to flesh it out with some, some application. In Romans 5, you've got everyone represented by the first Adam. Clear as could be. This is controversial, but I've got to go for it. Who's represented by the last Adam? Well, Paul uses the all terminology, but you do have to wonder, what, is, what does he mean? Because in the context of Romans, to be justified, you have to believe in Jesus. You have to trust in Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's in Romans 5. It's all over the place. So to be technical and careful with my words, it's why I would say things like, I perhaps have said it this morning, perhaps not, everyone's in Adam number one, everyone's represented by him. And everyone who would ever believe is represented by Adam too. Might rub us a little bit wrong because you, you, you might say, well, 
I thought everyone was. Well, if that's true, everyone, 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 then everyone is justified. So whoever those all are, whoever the, 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 the all-inclusive terminology refers to, let's interpret that in light of the whole picture of Romans, in light of the whole chapter. Justification is for those who believe. But everyone who is represented by the last Adam is justified. Now that's maybe, maybe you did come to the wrong church. No, you didn't. But, but big picture, otherwise, for so many years, I'm looking at the toothpicks, you know, smaller than my pinky, thinking, how could this be? This doesn't even make sense. This teaches universalism. Well, it doesn't if you look at the bigger picture. Who is represented by the last Adam? Because they're all justified. It's those who believe. Past, present, future. Something to think about if you haven't thought about it before. Here's a, a, a series of maybe takeaways if they're helpful to you. Um, first thing I wrote down was God has chosen to relate to the human race through representation. Romans 5 teaches that. He's chosen to do it. Some people say that's not fair. Well, let's just remember that God is God and He does whatever He wants to do. So it must have been the best plan. It is the plan. Get used to it. <laughs> right? Just how He's chosen to do it. Who sinned first, by the way? You could argue that Eve did. I wouldn't base my salvation on it, but, but Adam was the representative. That's how He's chosen to do it. And if you think, well, that's not fair. Well, it's not fair to have Jesus be the last Adam and to represent everybody who believes either. So whenever you create your own planet and do everything your way and you become God, um, maybe you'll choose not to use representation. But thank God, literally, that'll never happen. <laughs> it's meant to emphasize the grace here, by the way. But, but we, we clearly see it here. Another thing that I jotted down just to principalize and think this through, everyone is represented by the first, ah, I already just said this, and all who will believe are represented by the second. Don't know how you get around that in light of Romans 5 as a whole. Also, let me point out this isn't anything new. Okay? Christians have been talking this way for a long time. Not all who name the name of Christ like this, but Christians have talked this way for a long time. Representative theology. Okay? Sometimes it's called federal theology. For good reason, right? Think about it as Americans even. We have a federal government. We have a representative government. Decisions are made on our behalf. It's not a perfect illustration because we have elected officials. But federal government, we understand representation. That's why it's called federal theology, the federal headship of Adam. Sometimes people don't like it because they think, well, if it's federal, then it's associated with other things I don't like. But sadly, so many people have rejected what we've talked about today for fear of other boogeymen that they've taught all kinds of weird things. Like Adam represents us first and foremost because we're physically related to him. Well, we are physically related to him. But that's not what Romans 5 is talking about. I know that's not what Romans 5 is talking about because we're not justified because we're physically related to Jesus. 
He's our federal representative. Another observation. This helps us to understand what God requires. This helps us to understand what God requires. God requires perfect righteousness, perfect obedience. Salvation is by works. And so we're all smoked. And so we all need Jesus. Rejecting what we're talking about leads to somehow it's me and him and... So it helps us to see our need for Jesus. I need Jesus. Remember in Luke chapter 10 when the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to gain eternal life? What does Jesus say? What does the law say? And the guy says, in paraphrase, love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, love neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says what? Do this and live. And the context is the guy was asking about eternal life. Could that guy have done it? No, he couldn't have done it. He certainly couldn't have done it because he's in Adam. But it's still true. It's still the requirement. Perfect righteousness. It was to show him his need for Jesus. I want to tell people that. As long as that gives me opportunity to tell them about how much they need Jesus. Furthermore, it helps people to see there's no hope apart from faith in Jesus. We just talked about that. It helps us to see the big picture of Scripture and what it's all about. This one is one of my favorites, but I, I can't resist because some of you are, are new. And, but it helps us to read the Bible the way it was meant to be read. For example, you're reading one of the Gospel accounts and Jesus is being tempted in the garden. And so our tendency, I think I probably preached it this way, so follow my sword. The big takeaway, folks, is Jesus was tempted, you'll be tempted, Jesus quotes Scripture, you should quote Scripture, and things will be good, and you can overcome temptation. Well, I just sounded like a whole lot of people who don't believe in representation. We see big picture, inspired interpretation because Romans 5 teaches us this is how it goes. I'm going to say, oh yeah, first Adam, tempted in garden by Satan, leads human race into sin. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the last Adam, tempted in garden, does the right thing, overcomes temptation. All of a sudden, I'm reading my Bible differently. And then I am going to say, and now that we're in Christ, we do want to follow Jesus' example because it's the perfect example. And so let's memorize Scripture and let's quote the Bible to the devil. But not first and foremost. First and foremost, the gospel according to Matthew is not about me. Chapter 1 tells us what it's about, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Now you're going to read the Bible differently. And you say, but that that sounds Christ-centered and that's not biblical. not biblical. I challenge you in light of Romans chapter 5 and whether or not Christ-centered reading the Bible is biblical or not. It's inspired to Adams. Doesn't mean there aren't abuses. Doesn't mean it's not misused. The whole 
history of humanity is about Adam 1 and Adam 2. You're in Adam 1 naturally. You need to be in Adam 2 by trusting in Him. It brings assurance. Talk about assurance. Hope in hard times, that's Romans 5, 1 to 11. Representation. Let's talk about assurance finally. Your assurance is based upon what today? Hope it's on Christ. He's the one that says on the cross, it is finished. Even Romans 5 where it says at the beginning, therefore having been justified, we have peace with God. Because the reality is you're going to sin. The reality is I'm probably sinning right now because I'm not glorified. And so what I'm doing right now, I hope the Holy Spirit's using it and sanctifying it, and I hope it's you know, helpful and edifying. But the reality is I'm for sure not with perfectly pure motives right now, loving God with my heart, soul, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. I think I'm loving you. I'm not lying to you. But all kinds of mixed motives. So what's my assurance based upon? If the preacher's even sinning when he's preaching the gospel, we're smoked. But see, I would rather have you know that God's perfect requirement is to love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself and for you to go, uh-oh. Even now. And say, through one man's obedience, justification, eternal life. Let's go home tonight, not with license, sinning it up big time. That's not right. That's Romans 6. But let's go home tonight if we're people who are trusting in Jesus. Night, night. <sighs> Resting. Not just in the bed, but spiritually. There's reasons why whole denominations have said it's a sin to have assurance. Because they don't want you to know this. Because they don't believe this. Because we've got to get another pound of flesh out of people. I would rather have you rest than not try to get a pound of flesh out of you, but have this induce a spiritual gratitude and confidence and hope that causes you to even want to do the right thing. Because your eternal destiny is not at stake. It's already been secured. Okay? Well, we could talk about this all day, and I'm not just saying that. I want to say the buses will wait. amazing. Jesus is amazing. Jesus came here because he loved us. And he did everything necessary so that if we trust in him, God accepts us. Don't do more, try harder to get God to accept you. But because God has accepted you in the beloved, do more, try harder out of gratitude unto him. Okay? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, we need to end the service lest I sin with pride because of applause. In all sincerity, Lord, we are grateful for the fact that even as we sang this morning, we're resting in Jesus. We're confiding in Him. He is our righteousness. 
for those who are here today who are thinking somehow their good's going to outweigh their bad, may it be a time where they realize that God's standard is, is absolute perfection, perfect obedience, and that they fall short like every one of the rest of us. And may you also see fit supernaturally to open eyes and soften hearts and bring about saving faith in Jesus. Thank you that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper now that reminds us that we are indeed resting in Jesus. Through the one man's obedience, we have justification. These are great, great realities for us, God. May we never tire of hearing of them. May we never tire of discipling others with them. May they warm our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.